Welcome to the Unwritten Life Podcast, where we share that your deepest pain can lead to your biggest gain, and that your story is still unwritten. Now introducing your host, Tim Sawhook. Well, welcome to the show today, everybody. So excited to have you on board for another episode of the Unwritten Life Podcast. Again, my name is Tim Sawhook, and I am your host, as always. Um, we have another amazing interview for you today. Um, but before we get to that, a little housekeeping again. Thanking you guys so much uh, for the support and the love of Jesse Richardson's podcast last week. It had the highest amount of downloads we've had so far. And I think that was a testament to her story, the rawness of it, the powerful uh, message behind it. Not to say the other ones weren't good. I've had every interview has been amazing. I think now that the audience is built, a little bit more and started to build up a little stronger. More people know about the podcast. So when it came out and then people were sharing the story in the podcast, it's been amazing. So I couldn't thank you guys enough for sharing that. Again, it goes back to the mission of the podcast is to spread hope and encouragement for others who are going through similar things or just battling everyday struggles. So the podcast is doing really well, but I still need your assistance. So here's two things I'm asking for. First, to please go to iTunes. I know iTunes is buggy sometimes and hard to mess with. And to leave a written review saying that you're enjoying the podcast, if you are, not putting words in your mouth, but if you are enjoying it, because I see hundreds of downloads and I see hundreds of comments on Facebook, I would love to see those transposed into a written review. Because again, it gets the message of hope out in front of more people. And, um, the time that I've had for these amazing people who have been on my podcast to share their story, to share their time with me, I just don't want it to go to waste. I really want it to inspire people, motivate people, and give them hope. So if you could do that for me. And the second thing is, I am looking for more people to be on the podcast. I've said it before that you could write in if you didn't want to be on, but I'm looking for more interviews. And I know there are thousands of stories out there. And if you don't think you have a story, maybe do a gut check. Think about things you've been through. Think about things that you've shared with people that inspire them. Uh, maybe offered some hope to somebody in your life. Or we all know those one, two, or three people in our lives. When you think about an inspiring story, you go, oh, definitely that person. Tell them about the podcast. Connect me with them. Connect me with you because I want to make sure I have more and more and more content for you guys to listen to, to be motivated and inspired by every week. And so you're filled with hope and then you can take that and pour it into other people. So please, written review, amazing. More people on the podcast, even better. And I couldn't thank you guys enough for that. Well, like I promised you at the beginning, we have another amazing episode today. She is a wife. She is a mom. She is a coach. She is an inspiration. And she is going to fill your heart with love today. Here is my conversation with Taylor Malatierno. Well, welcome to the show today. Our guest is Taylor Malatierno. And Taylor, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, I know you have a story, a very powerful story of grief and strength and everything in between to uh, get to that place. But before we get into your bigger part of your story, let's talk about what I do with all my guests. 
from the beginning? Where did everything begin? Talk about where maybe you and your husband met before you got married. Okay, so it was April of 2011, so we're coming up on seven years since I met him. Okay. Um, my background's actually in dance. I went to college for dance, and then I danced professionally in Europe, and when I moved back to the States, I needed health insurance, so I took a job at an office, a nine-to-five, and my husband worked there, and so I saw him and was like, who is that guy, and I <laughs> never really went after guys, but... I had to um, get his attention, and that's where we met. We started dating a couple weeks after, and um, I eventually had to quit that job because I was dating someone I worked with, so <laughs> um, I quit. I started teaching dance full-time, and then in December, or in December of 2011, actually, so only like eight months later, we got engaged, oh, and wow. then a year and a half later, yeah, we got married in June, June 29th, 2013. So you guys got married in June of 2013, and then how shortly after did you guys start talking about your kind of future together and building a family? Oh my gosh, so my husband, before we even got married, was like, I want babies now, like we, <laughs> and I was like, we have to wait till I walk down the aisle, honey, like he was like, nobody will know, he wanted babies like immediately, um, so we, we really went into our marriage with a plan for a family, um, I was 25 when I got married. My vision was that I would have all my babies by the time I was 30 and, you know, be a young mom and raising, raising kids in my 30s. So you guys, your husband wanted babies really bad. You wanted babies really bad. You wanted to raise them all and get them all in, together by the time you were 30. Yes. So how early, so did you guys started right away? You wanted to have kids. How did that start? How did that work for you guys? Um... Well, it didn't. So we started trying to get pregnant probably in early 2014 because two months into our marriage, um, my cousin, who was like a sister to me, um, passed away from leukemia. So in August, August 16th of 2013, my cousin Emily passed away from leukemia, and that really drove a I, I want to say, I do, I have to just be honest, say drove a wedge in my marriage. Um, after a lot of counseling, you know, mm -hmm. my therapist would say, you're in this love triangle with your husband, your grief, and you. Um, so really trying to work through that. I had never really lost anyone close to me. I ended up gaining about 30 pounds, so mm -hmm. I wasn't physically taking care of myself anymore. And I just wasn't, I was not in the headspace to be a mom, that's for sure. So, um the beginning of 2014, I started to kind of get my health back on track. Um, I became a health coach myself, and I lost the 30 pounds. And so by August of 2014, we were really ready. We really started trying around then. Well, congratulations on the weight loss. That's an amazing accomplishment to do that, to be in that space and realize that you need to get yourself healthy and a good position with your family, your relationships, to be able to go to the next step to build that family. Yeah. So what did it look like next? So after that, um, there was about two years of just unexplained infertility. We were trying mm -hmm. to get pregnant, and it wasn't working for us for some reason. Everything was checking out fine with me. Everything was checking out fine with him. And I had a friend in the health and fitness um, community that just kind of threw out a comment at me one time that said, try eating this way nutritionally. She just suggested that I cut out gluten. She said, mm -hmm. there's studies that it affects your hormones and maybe that's it for you. So I was like, well, I have nothing to lose at this point. So sure, let's do it. 
and I cut out gluten in January of 2016, and then in March of 2016, I was pregnant. So I think it works. I'm pretty sure that's what my issue was, but. No, that's really interesting. So during that time frame where you were trying different things and you had the infertility and things were checking out fine with you, checking out mm -hmm. fine with your husband, were you reaching out to other people, other women and other families in that same area, finding out what happened with them? Were they kind of um, have a blame game of like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I have a baby like everybody else? You know what? I was not. I was very um, self-conscious about the issues. I really didn't open up about it. Mm -hmm. I tried to stay as positive as I could that, you know, it would just happen when, when it was supposed to. Um, but I was at a retreat, a training retreat with a bunch of other health coaches, and someone said to me, do you want to have kids? And the topic came up, and then this other girl just recommended um, nutritionally what I could do. And mm -hmm. so that was the first time that I really opened up about it and that was October of 2015 so it wasn't it was about a year and a half after we had started trying so at this point you've really kept everything really in between yeah. you and your husband and not really talking about it until you talked about the gluten thing yes. um, so once you cut out the gluten and you became pregnant did you see anybody else in that realm did you read online that anyone else had that same issue with the gluten and were able to get pregnant afterwards um, I did. I actually started reading a ton of books and listening to a lot of podcasts about just um, gut health and what it does for your hormones. And so I got really interested in just elimination diets and just eating for your gut health, which is your immune system and everything else. Um, my husband's also type 1 diabetic, so we are always okay. looking for ways to kind of help, our, help his body essentially, but it in turn ended up helping mine too. So it helped both you guys get healthy? Yeah, absolutely. Together. Well, that's good. It's good to have a partner in that because it could be a lonely road when you're trying to do it on your own. It can. It can, yeah. And it sounds sure. like you are surrounded by a pretty good health and fitness community. Yes, for sure. They were, they're the best. <laughs> they're the best. So you cut out the gluten. You became pregnant. What was that moment like when you found out you were pregnant? It was actually crazy because the backstory of that is my husband in – early March of 2016 was offered a job transfer from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Tampa, Florida. Mm -hmm. And he was like, let's go. And we were on a cruise with Beachbody when he decided to, um, you know, make this jump. And I was like, all right, let's go. And then we got home. We sold our house in like two weeks. I was packing up our entire oh, house. Wow. Yeah. So um, my parents were coming to help me pack up. He had to leave the beginning of April. Um, I was finishing out my dance teaching job through recital, which was June. So there was going to be this gap where we weren't together. Mm -hmm. um, I thought I was just really stressed out about the move, but I was feeling so sick. I thought it was anxiety. I, I like had no energy. I was like, right. this is terrible. My husband left April 1st. And um, the next day I was like, something is wrong with me. And something in me was like, take a pregnancy test. And I was like, oh my gosh. So the day after my husband <laughs> moved, <laughs> I found out I was pregnant and I called him and he was watching the Pens game at a bar somewhere and, you know, bought everyone in the bar round of drinks because. Oh, that's our, awesome. Our two year, we thought our two year journey with, you know, infertility was over and we were so excited. Yeah. It's an exciting moment. I remember when I got the call from my wife. So I remember <laughs> being like, extremely nervous and couldn't talk and like, <laughs> yeah. oh my god we're having a kid yeah. in the world so I know that's a very exciting moment so 
now you found out you're pregnant, you know, you're on this new journey. What was it like? What was it like day to day? What was your pregnancy like? Honestly, my pregnancy was perfect. I still worked out every single day during my pregnancy. Um, I was really only sick at the very beginning. I was just blissfully unaware of anything that could possibly go wrong, which mm-hmm. you know, is the best way to be pregnant. Um, it, it was really perfect. There was nothing wrong. Every time I'd go to the doctor, they would just like cheer me on with how healthy I was. And they were like, if we could just get everyone to be like you during their pregnancy, so many women would have such a, a you know, a better experience. Um, but then in September of 2016, so I was 30 weeks pregnant, just shy of 30 weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. I went for my gestational diabetes test and, um, you know, I'm like ready to pass this test with flying colors because I eat so well and I, I do my workouts and whatnot. Right. But I had some sense of anxiety that day and I just was like, you know, before we do this test, can you just, can you just find this baby's heartbeat for me? Because for some reason, I just feel a disconnect between myself and the baby. Mm-hmm. And my midwife was like, of course. So I jumped up on the table and she couldn't find it with a Doppler. She grabbed um, like a portable ultrasound machine. She couldn't find it with that. Um, but they were really good about keeping me calm. I didn't really understand what was going on. And then they took me to the high-risk ultrasound team. And uh, some poor girl had to tell me that our baby had no heartbeat. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that's my life is pretty much now divided into two parts, which is before that news and after that news. Um. No, I can't imagine. And for the people who are listening at home, I sit here and I'm watching Taylor and she's sitting here with such strength and courage in saying this to where most people hearing that news don't even know how they would function, how they would even breathe and go on for the next step. But she's sharing here with such courage and sharing this story with such strength. And I want to commend you for that, Taylor. Thank you. You should be very proud of that. And I understand this is not an easy thing to talk about. And um, we really appreciate you sharing your story. So I wanted to say that right here, that we don't take that very lightly here on the show. So thank you for doing this. Thanks. It means a lot. Mm -hmm. So you were, like you said, your life's been divided from before that appointment and after. Mm -hmm. And there's a real big tear there in the middle, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. So that day... um, I just happened to go to that appointment by myself too because nothing, everything had been so perfect up until that point. Right. So I had to wait for my husband to get there, and we did not want to find out the gender of the baby until the baby was born. Okay. So I had no clue if we were having a boy or a girl. Um, but when we did have our ultrasound, our gender ultrasound done, we had sent the image with the sex on it to my brother who's in the Marines because okay. – I don't know why I did that, but I just was like, if at any point in time I want to know, he'll tell me. And he's like, he's a Marine, so he has like a steel trap, like he won't tell anyone. No. <laughs> um, yeah, so that day my husband and I sat in the doctor's office, and before we could make any decisions moving forward, we wanted to know if we were having a boy or a girl. We didn't mm-hmm. have to wait. So we called my brother, and I will never forget the strength of him just saying, you know, it's a girl. And we just, my husband and I just like cried and he, he had thought it was a girl and I didn't really know at all. But so we wanted to be able to name her. So we named her Francesca Joy. And um, it's a beautiful name. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. So I was reading your uh, story that you've well documented. Anybody needs to go and we'll put her 
blogs in the show notes so everybody can go back. She documented this, and I say, I keep on saying with such strength, she really did, and her story, how she was going along with it, um, that you guys named her in Frankie, for short, mm-hmm. Francesca, yeah, and that you guys were going back and forth about middle names. Yes. And why did you guys decide Joy? Well, my cousin, Emily, when she had passed away, we started fundraising in her honor. Mm-hmm. And every time we would fundraise, we, our team name was always Emily's Joy. And it was kind of a conversation within my family around the dinner table at my grandma's. I can remember my uncle saying, what do you think Emily's Joy is? What do you think Emily's Joy is? Like, what brings mm-hmm. her the most joy? And we just kind of were like, you know, with Emily and myself growing up, I was like, everyone used to tease her that I was her life-size baby doll, and she would, like, <laughs> dress me up and, and, you know, put makeup on me when I was, like, four, and, you know, we just felt like she was with Emily now and a huge part of her joy, so. So, Frankie was part of her joy, and that's where you got it from. Yeah. And I thought you had a quote here in one of your blogs, and it says, we also learned yesterday that joy actually comes from Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Yeah. And I thought that was awesome. Yeah, I had never heard that. And when we gave her that middle name, we didn't really tell my family why, because her original middle name was supposed to be Louise after my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And then once she had passed, it just didn't feel right anymore. But my father-in-law actually said, do you know what joy stands for? And he told us that when we were standing in our kitchen after we had given her that middle name. So it was kind of a beautiful moment and a beautiful kind of sign that that was the direction our life was going to go from mm-hmm. that point moving forward. I know. I think that is, that was really amazing. When I saw that quote and tied in with uh, Frankie's middle name, how beautiful, um, especially now hearing a little bit more about Emily's story too, about her joy. Yeah. So I want to kind of go back to the story a little bit. So you called your husband, he comes and you guys now find out that you're having a, a baby girl. Mm-hmm. and what what happens next in that process? So I'm sure you're still feeling in, yeah. in amazement what's going on. So we basically had to make the decision. Uh, I mean, there wasn't really a decision to be made. I was going to have to be induced and deliver her like a normal 40-week baby, um, mm-hmm. and I had a really hard time wrapping my mind around that. I was – knowing that up and down, I told my doctors, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And they were like, that's actually the only way this is going to go down. So you can't deny this. Um, So I wanted it over as soon as possible. So I was like, I want to go in tonight. I want to go in tonight and be induced and get this over with. And um, there were no openings that night, but they said the next night they could get me in, which in retrospect, I wanted my parents to be there and my husband's parents to be there. So it gave them time to travel to Florida. Um, we went into the hospital to be induced on September 21st and mm-hmm. I don't know what happened in Tampa on September 21st, 2016, but like every pregnant woman came into the hospital, <laughs> like 10 centimeters dilated. So they ended up sending me home and I remember just getting home and getting in the shower and asking my best friend, Katie, who you guys all actually have heard her story, Katie Ursta, um, what am I, like, why, why after all of this are they not, am I being sent home right now? And she said, I just think you just need to pray about it. And she told me I just needed to mustard seed it. So I just needed to use like the smallest amount of faith to get Mm -hmm. through however long it was going to be. And um, I remember getting in the shower and just hearing very vividly a voice saying, the right people aren't there to take care of you. 
And so I went in the next day and the midwife that delivered, that induced me and was there for the majority of my labor was the best human being I could have been with. And he still is our midwife today and takes care of us today and has just been a blessing in this whole journey. Well, I think it's amazing that you were surrounded with people in the right time at the right place who told you, listen, at the bottom line of everything, trust God. Yeah. We don't know why we're going through this storm, but trust God. We don't know what's going to happen on the other side, but trust God. Yeah. And I think it's easy to do when we're on smooth sailing, on crystal <laughs> clear waters, and there's nothing wrong. It's so easy to trust God because mm-hmm. everything's going well. But when yeah. you hit those rough seas, it's when it gets tougher. It gets yeah. tougher to walk that walk. Absolutely. And, and I think it was perfect that you had somebody in that community around you at that point that said, listen, just trust God. Just mm-hmm. trust God. Yeah. And I wanted to go back to something I read about your story. So before you went home, can you talk about the family that you met in the waiting room that night? Yeah, I met a family um, that first night in the waiting room, and I was, like, pacing back and forth. I couldn't sit still. Um, Everyone, my my parents were there. My husband's parents were there. Mm -hmm. My husband was there, obviously. And everyone's anxiety was, like, making me. 4,000 times more anxious. So I was just kind of walking away from them and walking around. And this couple in the waiting room said they thought I was just, you know, there to be induced because of a full-term pregnancy. And so they were like, oh, are you having a boy or girl? And I said, I'm having a girl, but she's going, she's already in heaven. I said something random like that. And Mm -hmm. they just kind of looked at me and they, I ended up talking to them for a long time. They had had multiple losses themselves before. Um, they had four healthy babies at home, and they were about to have their fifth. And so just that, that conversation with them just kind of kept my mind occupied and also just at peace. It kind of took the anxiety away and, mm-hmm. and helped me just focus forward on this is not going to be the end for me. There's something, there's more out there. And um, I'm just really grateful for that conversation that night. So it was great having that person there so you could kind of see, like you said, there was hope for your future, that they had um, some babies that they had lost, but now they have this big thriving family and mm-hmm. that they had hope. So I'm sure that was good for you at that moment. Yeah, that was perfect. That was perfect timing. Um, and then shortly after that, one of the midwives came out and just said, like, you know, you can stay all night until we can get a bed for you or you can go home. And I um, looked at my husband and just said, I just want to go home. Like, this isn't happening in the near future. I just want to go home and be at home and we'll come back tomorrow in the morning. So we went home. I know in your story you talked about leaving the hospital that night and sitting on a bench outside and Mm -hmm. wondering, like, what people were thinking, looking at you, crying, and you're wondering, how's everybody around me having this normal life, having mm-hmm. these normal experiences? And I'm sitting here, and I know I have to deliver this baby who is not going to be alive. Yeah. That, what was that like for you at that moment? Um, so my husband had to go get the car, and there was this bench outside. And, um, you know, it's like the emergency room entrance to a hospital, so super busy, lots of hustle and bustle going on. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, like, having my bags and just, like, flopping myself down on this bench and I was just sobbing and I'm looking around at all these people just living their lives normally and I can't even say that I was like sobbing I, I'm sure internally I was that I might have been like keeping it together on the outside but right I just was like asking I kept asking my husband like why is no one asking me if I'm okay or why are they just going about their lives normally when like my babies died like I was just so angry and, and couldn't understand like 
why no one cared about me mm-hmm. at that point in time. And, um, he just, you know, got me in the car and got me home. But that was a huge moment for me where I just, I actually, it comes back. That bench is going to come back later in my story, but okay, um, yeah, that was a hard moment. I can't imagine, um, feeling that way and just being so isolated and that feeling that no one knows what I'm going through right now. And, mm-hmm. it, and it's only, and it's only beginning. Mm-hmm. So you get home and you've had this conversation with your friend and she's trying to tell you to trust God. Mm-hmm. What happens next? What happens the next day? So the next morning, my husband calls the hospital and they say, we're good. Come in now, get her here by 11 and we'll get her in. So we go back. I, they take me right into triage. They take me right into our own room and Um, I don't think I had shown anyone how terrified I was of the next part until that moment. I just remember looking at my nurse, her name was Katie. And I just was like, I can't do this. Can you give me drugs? Like, I I just wanted her to calm me down. And she just very sweetly looked at me and said, I will give you something, but I want to try to calm you down myself first. And within the next hour, she just had me completely relaxed and calm and sure about my abilities to, you know, handle the next, what they told me would be 48 hours of labor. And, um, just really, she was a godsend. (laughs) She just, um, she was amazing. Yeah. A woman of faith herself. And once she figured that out about me, she just talked a lot to me about, you know, spiritually keeping myself grounded through the process and, and gave me some books to read. And, um, she just is really great. So there you go. God was already working, putting mm-hmm. Katie there on that shift that day just to be there to be in your life at that moment, help calm you down. Yeah. Yeah, she was. So what happened over the next, was it the next day or so? Yes. It was actually the next 12 hours. So I was induced um, around 1 p.m. And I had just sent a message out to some women who I knew were women of faith and that would pray for me and just kind of help me through the process Mm -hmm. while I was going through it. And one of those people on the message was my friend Katie Isaac, who I actually know because Emily, my cousin who had passed, and her were best friends growing up. Um, So I had known her since I was little. She happened to move to Tampa a few years before me, and now I live 20 minutes from her. She was pregnant at the same time as me, so we went through the majority of our pregnancies together. However, she was due when I went into labor. She was actually a week overdue, and she kept talking to me, never really insinuated that anything with her was going on, Um, but she actually went into labor the same night as me and came into the hospital at a full 10 centimeters, and we had our babies on the same night. So next door to me, um, you know, I guess to rewind a little bit, they told me my labor would be 48 hours, but Mm -hmm. I ended up dilating a full 10 centimeters within 12. And I had Frankie um, at 10.52 on December 22nd, or September 22nd at night. She was actually due December 22nd, but I had her on September 22nd. And... Um, I did not know Katie was in the hospital. I had Frankie. I was holding her. Um, you know, they had put an outfit on her. They wrapped her up in a yellow blanket because I had, for some reason, wanted her in yellow. And I heard this voice out in the hallway. And 
my parents had all left the room. Dave had left the room. He was walking our parents out after they had seen Frankie. And um, it was the first time I was left alone in mm -hmm. the hospital room with her. And I remember looking out the window and thinking, like, I can just jump out that window and, like, scale the building with this baby and go home, and this will have never happened. Mm -hmm. Like, my brain was just not right. comprehending. Like, it was just not in the right space. But then I heard this voice in the hallway that I knew, and I yelled, John, which is Katie's husband's name. And he came rushing in the room and saw Frankie, and he said, Katie's in labor. She's having a baby tonight. They didn't know if they are having a girl or boy either. And then a few hours later, Katie texted me and said they also had a little girl. Oh, wow. Yeah, her name is Ezra Grace, and Ezra actually means little helper. And I've said since day one, um, one of my best friends having a baby the in the room next to me should be for a lot of women would be agonizing and like the worst thing that could possibly happen, but it was the biggest blessing for me. Oh, wow. What an amazing coincidence. I wouldn't say coincidence. I think it was meant to be that she was there that night. Yeah. Same night you were at, mm -hmm. at the hospital having Frankie. Mm -hmm. So going back to the birth. So you, you have the delivery, you have mm -hmm. Frankie. So what was it like when you got to hold her for the first time? It was, and I can't not smile when I say this because it is just like every other parent for me, how it was, was how every other parent experiences the birth of their child and their first child. Um, mm -hmm. I was so proud. I was so calm. Mm -hmm. um, my husband and I talk about it now, like looking back and we're like, there was definitely, God was definitely in that room because Every blog I had read in the 24 hours I had to try to mentally prepare for this exact moment was mm -hmm. terrible. Like, all they did was talk about how agonizing it was going to be and how you were just going to want to die. And Oh, wow. You know, so I went into this thinking, like, how awful it was going to be, but we could not have had more of an opposite experience. Um, she was perfect. She had a full head of black hair like my husband and I. She had my nose, thank God. His, like... <laughs> His pouty lips, like she just was absolute perfection. I never, um, you know, I was, I thought she was going to be like the size of my hand, but she was like a full length. She was like her full length, you know, full term length. She just was skinny. Um, but it just was the most perfect moment. We were so proud and, and just so full of joy in that moment. It was perfect. So I have to say for people who can't see you, you are smiling ear to ear talking about it. So when you say you can't help but smile, you are. And you are a proud mama, proud mm -hmm. dad of a beautiful baby girl, Frankie. How awesome. Yeah, it was perfect. So you had her, you got to hold her, you spent some time with her. How much time did you get to spend with Frankie? I spent with her um, that night. I was she We were in labor and delivery until about 4 a.m. And then they moved us to um, postpartum, just like every other mom. Mm -hmm. um, I actually had to carry her when they took us to postpartum, which in retrospect, if there's any moms out there going through this, that was really hard for me because people didn't know she had passed away. So I was getting a lot of congratulations down the hallway and, you know, stuff like that. So if you're, if you, God forbid, find yourself in that situation, maybe just ask if there's any other way that you can get to your room in postpartum or they can get the baby to you. It's, it was hospital policy that the mom carries the baby, but in this instance, I think they probably could have broken policy to help that situation. Right. Um, so about 
that night I knew that I wanted Frankie baptized before we left the hospital. That was super mm-hmm. important to me. Um, so we had scheduled her baptism for the next morning at 11 a.m. The chaplain was going to come up and do it, and so we made sure our families were there. And we had her baptized. And then about two hours later, I just reached this point where I knew I was looking at my baby, but she wasn't there. And I knew she was with God and she was in heaven. And Mm -hmm. I just was like, there's no point. Like, she's done here. Um, So it was about about 14 hours that I spent with her. So you had those 14 hours. Um, I think it's amazing how you tell the story, that you got to spend that time with her, get that time to have her baptized. Mm-hmm. Um, but that you also felt a disconnect. Yes. You, also, you had this physical baby here, but knowing that she really wasn't there anymore, but she was in heaven. Yeah. And um, it must have been really hard to say, okay, I, I'm, I'm done. Not to say I'm done, but it's okay for her to go now. Yeah. What was that like? You know, in the moment, it just felt fine. Um, I remember telling the nurse, like, she literally saying the word, she's done here. And she said, okay, I'm going to take her. And I just wanted to make sure that I was getting all of her clothes and everything back. So she was like, yes, I will bring them right back to you. Mm -hmm. Um, For my husband, that was so hard for him. I think he may have actually walked down the hall with her bassinet until they took her. But he was thinking, you know, her next step is the funeral home. And yeah. I was thinking heaven. He was thinking funeral home. Right. Um, so that that was hard. And then, I, you know, there's been a lot of therapy since that situation, just trauma um, therapy. And when I go through the steps of what happened, when I recount the hardest moment of this whole entire thing, it is that moment that I had to say, she's done here. Um, because that makes it very final. Right. So speaking to any moms or dads, who unfortunately have gone through this or may be going through this, mm-hmm. is there any advice what you would do in that time frame where you deliver your, your baby girl, Frankie, it's mm-hmm. a time where you have to let her go? Is there any advice or strength you would give during that time frame but maybe something you wish you would have done? Or Yes. So I... I'm so grateful that we took pictures. So the hospital staff took pictures and we have them in her memory box. I have all of her clothes, um, her footprints, her handprints, a piece of her hair, like anything they could get for me to remember her is in a box that they handed us. But I wish there is an organization called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep and it's a professional photography company that will come in and take pictures of the baby and of you with the baby and they're a little bit more not posed they'll kind of hide and catch you when you're having like those sweet moments with your baby alone mm-hmm. all of the pictures I have are very posed and when I look at them like I'm smiling in them but I'm like clearly n- not myself like I feel like right. I should be smiling because someone's taking my picture so I think just having them come in it's completely free they will come in and take pictures so it's called now I lay me down to sleep and I wish we would have done that you know what? I, I love that. And, you know, I'm going to include that in the show notes so okay. we can have a link to that so people can take a look at that service. And I think that that's a really cool service. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I don't I, I don't know how anyone has the strength to actually do that, but I'm so grateful that people There's somebody do that. in that space to do that for you. Yeah. Yeah. 
So now that you guys have said goodbye to the earthly body, mm-hmm. um, what happened next? What happened next was I walked out of my room and went to the room next door and met Ezra Grace and held her and loved on her and um, ripped that Band-Aid off as quickly as possible with meeting another newborn baby. I know so many moms who are just like, I can't be around babies. And first of all, having a baby that's so close to my family and that we love so much and a family that we love so much being in the room next door. Um, you know, I could hear her crying at night, the ba- Ezra crying at night. And if it would have been any other baby, it probably would have ripped my heart out because I'll never hear Frankie cry. Mm-hmm. But because I knew it was her and a baby that I loved and a family that loved me and that was grieving with me, it was just the best thing. Um, healing-wise that could have happened. So I just walked next door, held her, loved on her, um, handed her back to her mom and said, we're going to go home now and I'll see you soon, (laughs) very soon. (laughs) So when you guys left the hospital together, what was like that ride home like? Well, leaving the hospital, I think was the first time that I experienced like anger because at the same time, you know, first of all, I had to like go out in a wheelchair like every other mom. Um, but I'm not holding a baby. And mm-hmm. there was another mom beside me who was holding her new baby boy and like blue balloons floating around. And I just was so angry that she got to take a baby home and I didn't. Um, since I was in this wheelchair, another instance that happened was we were on an elevator and a doctor got on the elevator with us Mm -hmm. and knew I was from postpartum and said, where's the baby? And I was like, in heaven, (laughs) you know, just, um, so I think just educating people, my mom said, I don't remember this, but she said, I like punched the wall, the elevator and was like, people need to talk about this. I'm going to talk about this because people need to talk about this. Um, because just little things that happened in the hospital that were just people not even under, even knowing that people leave the hospital without a baby, you know, right. like, have a baby and leave without a baby. So that was probably the first time that anger really struck me. Um, and then the car ride home, <laughs> I just remember crying and telling my husband, I was never doing this again. I was never having another baby. We were done. Um, don't even ask me, it's not happening. And, um, we had to go get some prescriptions filled for me. And I remember sitting in the parking lot of CVS and he was like, I'll go in and pick them up for you. And I said, I have this huge social media following and, um, Mm -hmm. they haven't heard from me in five days and I'm getting messages like, are you okay? And was it because leading up to that, you had been documenting everything? Yes, I had been, you know, working out every day. I'd been talking about the baby every day. I think I actually posted the Tuesday morning that I found out that she had passed, that I was having anxiety about the doctor's appointment. Um, so I knew, like, I was starting to get messages from a lot of my clients because I wasn't checking in with them. I check in with them every single day and they hadn't heard from me. Um, so I was like, mm-hmm. we have to tell people. And he was like, all right. He went into CVS and I sat there in the parking lot and just shared our news with as much. I remember thinking like, I want them to know how proud I am. I want them to know 
how beautiful this was. I don't want this to scare anyone. I want them to understand how perfect this was for how terrible it was. Right. So we wrote a post and um, my husband read it and he said, it's perfect, post it. And just the outpouring of love and encouragement and thank you for sharing. I've never heard of this happening. Um, the support that we got was incredible. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. For right at that moment that you had that support system, it was seeing how God had laid the groundwork for years prior to having this amazing group of supporting people behind you. Yes. yes. Not knowing that when that storm would come, that these people would be your umbrella, you know, mm-hmm. and exactly. you from that and try to comfort you during that time. Yeah. So what actually happened with that post was another extremely grace-filled moment. My cousin Ashley had gotten married in August of 2014, and okay. we were really feeling the loss of Emily before her wedding because Emily was our party planner. She got us ready for every big event, and so Ashley actually stumbled upon a wedding planning company called Emily's Weddings. And without knowing anything about them was like, you're hired just because of your name. (laughs) They ended up being amazing and we all became friends with them. And the owner named Emily sent me a message and she said, I have a friend who actually lives in Orlando, Florida, which is about an hour and a half from us. And she lost her daughter at birth. She has an organization called the Finley Project. If you're interested, reach out. And at that point, I didn't know what else to do. So I was like, I'm just going to do this. And so I filled out this application. And within 24 hours, Noelle, the owner of the Finley Project, called me. She shared her own story. It was the only story of hope I had heard Mm -hmm. thus far. Um, And she said, we offer grief support for moms going through this type of loss. And it's a seven-step holistic program, which was right up my alley. And... um, She actually was very honest with me and said, we don't have the money to take on another mom right now, but I can't let you slip through the cracks. I will support you myself if I need to. Oh, wow. And I said, I'm actually really good at fundraising. (laughs) So if you would like some help. And then um, I know Katie shared the story of Every Sweat Matters and raising her leukemia lymphoma. So Every Sweat Matters Army stepped up again and raised um, $10,000 for the Finley Project. And we were able to donate that within a month of Frankie passing away so that they could take on not only me, but about four other moms at the same time. Well, let me ask you a question about the Finley project. So what do they use this money for and how does that add taking on a new mom into that? Perfect. So every mom is different. Their seven steps are on their website. But for me, what I utilized was house cleaning service. So about two months after Frankie passed, they started sending a cleaning company to my house because very quickly stuff can get out of hand when you are, you have no clue where you are. Um, Mm -hmm. Massage. So they will send you to have massages just so you can like take some time to relax. Um, They also have support moms. So once a week at the beginning, I would talk to my support mom. Her name's Alicia and she had a similar loss to mine and we have, similar faith backgrounds, so actually like the exact same faith background, so she really talked me through the loss at the beginning. I still talk to her all the time now, Um, and um, they also will help you with funeral arrangements. I 
knew what I wanted for Frankie, so that wasn't a situation that I needed their guidance in. And then they also offer support in the form of like gift cards for groceries and whatnot, because financially this could be a huge burden for people. Um, right. You still get all the medical bills you do whenever you have a baby, but there's no baby. So that's kind of, that can be really hard. So they, they help with everything they possibly can um, for a mom going through it. Oh, that is an amazing support system. So I will put another link in the show notes, some more stuff from the family <laughs> project. Yeah. Cause I want people to be able to have access and have that. Um, mm-hmm. to have that support right there. Yeah. Let me ask you a question about this. Sure. So at this point where you've gone through this, did, do you, did you find in research and talking to other people that moms asked themselves and did you ask this question, did I do something wrong? Every day. Every day. I still ask it. Yeah. I don't think it will ever be, I know what the cause of death was and I know it was completely out of my control. Mm-hmm. However, crazy things will run through your mind um, that you never thought you would be thinking about yourself. Um, So I think every single day it does get, it does lessen up, but I would say at least once a week or once a month, it still creeps in. Like what if I wouldn't have X, Y, and Z, you know? Well, to deal with that answer, what would you say to a mom who's going through that right now? Who's this every day they're blaming themselves. I did Mm -hmm. it. I shouldn't have had this. I shouldn't have done that. What would you yeah. say to someone going through that, that question? I think that it's totally normal to feel that way. I think the first thing people want to do when something like this happens is fix it, like make those feelings stop for that person. Mm-hmm. And you can't. There's nothing that you can say to a mom that's going to fix it, that's going to bring their baby back. Every mom, I say this all the time, just how people say when you're raising kids, every mom's way is the right way. Mm-hmm. When you're grieving a child, every parent's way is the right way. So if blaming yourself for a little bit is taking away from pain elsewhere, move through it. Um, mm-hmm. Know that it wasn't your fault and know that there's nothing you could have done. But if, you, if you're having those thoughts, don't beat yourself up about it. So allow yourself to feel it. Yes. No matter how bad it is, feel it. Yes. And try to go through it and try yeah. to feel as normal as you possibly can through it. Mm -hmm. And speaking about feeling normal, I uh, was reading through some of your blog posts and I wrote down a note about it was, I thought it was really powerful how you post a blog and then all these other women would come on and comment. Mm -hmm. Kind of encourage each other through you telling your story and it kind of made those people feel normal. That they weren't alone in that. How did you feel when you were seeing those comments? Um this might make me emotional. So I remember when I got home from the hospital, I was in my bedroom and I looked at my husband and I I was like, I'm so tired, but I don't want to forget anything. Mm -hmm. I want to write it all down. And he was like, okay, go ahead, write. And I started writing and I remember just feeling like if this helps one person, it will have been worth it all. Mm -hmm. And to see the hundreds of women that just are saying their baby's names out loud that are not feeling so isolated. I can tell you, I never knew that my grandmother had a baby at 27 weeks stillborn. And I never knew about this baby until I lost my own baby. And I remember going to my grandma's and sitting at her house and her telling me all about John Joseph, her first baby that I had no clue existed. And my aunt had three 
and oh, wow. she never says those babies' names out loud. And I just gave her a platform. Sorry, I gave her a platform to be able to share their names and say their names and talk about them. And for me, that's worth every emotion that comes back up every time I tell my story. It's worth it because someone else doesn't feel alone. Right, and it's the whole purpose of this podcast is. Mm-hmm by people sharing their stories and their grief and pain, but coming through on the other side through God's grace and having a little bit of freedom to share their story. If it helps one person, that's enough. If it helps 10 people, even better. And mm-hmm. uh, the opportunity for you to share your story and doing it. So thank you. You're, you're doing that. I guarantee you, you're inspiring more than one person or giving them hope than more than one person. I promise you that. Yeah, um, so- I wanted to talk about one of your articles you wrote, which I thought was very powerful. It was called, what to expect when your friend is suddenly no longer expecting. Mm-hmm. I saw that title and I was like, oh my gosh, this <laughs> hit me like a gut punch. Um, and I read through it. And like, so I want to kind of go over some of the things in that and maybe ask you a couple of those questions. Would you mind answering a few of those? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that you had talked about was you probably just want to do something, meaning mm-hmm. I find out that you had lost your baby and I want to do something for you. What, what's, mm-hmm. what's something that someone can do for you? The first thing that you can do is just acknowledge their baby by name. Um, I just think when people say Frankie's name, my husband and I have both said this, it's like the sweetest thing that we can ever hear, just seeing her name and keeping her alive. Um, I'm so grateful for my friends who decided to say something instead of say nothing. I know there's a lot of confusion, like we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do, so we're just going to say nothing because we don't want to make it worse for you. Right it's already the worst experience in the world. <laughs> like you can't, it, not saying something or not acknowledging it hurts more. Um, so I think I, I said in that blog, like nothing that you can say is actually going to take that pain away, mm-hmm. but just knowing and offering that safe place for them to be able to talk about their friend. Um, I, I think too, a lot of people a lot later said we didn't want to upset you when it first happened. So we didn't reach out mm-hmm. and I can say without a shadow of a doubt is not saying anything makes it worse. We were waiting for certain people to acknowledge it that didn't because they thought they would upset us. So just so, saying something. So it goes back to the place of just feeling isolated. You yeah. know, you already feel isolated enough and then people don't want to talk to you about it. So you even get more isolated and more walls go up, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I saw in one of your quotes here, you said, and, and this probably goes along the same thing as people sharing good news. Like maybe they find out they're pregnant and mm-hmm. they don't want to say it. And one of your quotes, you said, here's the real truth. My grief will never go away. Whether you tell me or not, I will always miss my baby girl. So your news does not make it worse. Just tell me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I had a lot of friends who and family who got pregnant and were just so scared to tell me. And I just was like, when you don't tell someone the like biggest, the most joyful news in your life, like the first, my first instinct is to start praying for you. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're not telling me because you're scared, it's going to upset me. You're just robbing your baby of prayers. Yeah. Of that joy. Yeah. No, I, I think that's very well said. Um, something else you just spoke of, but maybe you can have another thing. You said people ask, well, what kind of gift could I get for my friend who has recently lost their child? I know you spoke about the family project with the house cleaning. Is mm-hmm. there anything else along those lines? Um, actually, that is the number one thing that I tell people all the time is just have their house clean for them. I, it took me about six months to let them do that for me because I was like, you know, 
stomping my feet. Like I can take care of this myself. I don't need help. Right. But the day it just came up on my on this day, like two days ago, actually. So it wasn't until January that I let them clean my house. Um, I remember when those, the house cleaners left just like sobbing because it just took this huge weight off of my shoulders. I didn't even know was there. I knew I was like really stressing myself out about letting stuff go and not taking care of the house and just them doing it for me. I didn't realize how helpful that was going to be until it was all over. So even if they say no, just do it anyway. Just okay. like, whatever, just I'm doing it. So you can't say no. <laughs> well, if there's somebody who's hearing this and they're on the fence like you were about having somebody come clean their house, do yeah. they have to worry about someone coming like, listen, I know you lost your baby. That's why I'm here. They're not going to bring that up. Are they just going to come clean your house like anybody else? Yes, exactly. So the organization was through the Finley Project. So I'm pretty sure they flat out said, do not talk about this situation. Like she has a nursery in her home and no baby. So don't, okay. don't bring it up. Um, I do have my own house cleaners now and they know I don't have a baby and I have a room for a baby. And I actually just told them, like, I'm at this place now where I tell everyone, so right. I'm like, you know, don't go in that room. That's my baby's room. She passed away and they, they're so wonderful and they want to talk about her and they want to pray for me. And, um, they're really great. Well, I think it's good that you talk about it because like you said, keep talking about Frankie. Mm -hmm. Frankie's yeah. a real person. She's yeah. A baby girl. <laughs> Yes. She's got that joy. So let's keep talking about her. So exactly. by you not bringing it up, you're like, <clears throat> you're robbing that opportunity of speaking about her mm -hmm. and having people have those blessings come back to you in forms of prayers. I think that is really cool. Um, the biggest, this is one of the bigger things that put stood out and is things not to say. And I think that's where in this realm that people need the permission from, mm -hmm. from grieving parents um, define the right language. And I think that's where the biggest thing is. So let's just lay it out there. The good, bad, and ugly. What are things not to say? Um, just like the first cliche things that I know before I lost Frankie, I said to people who had lost children or lost anyone, um, like everything happens for a reason. There's no reason why my baby died. Um, mm -hmm. God must've needed another angel. Like that doesn't help a mom who doesn't have their baby. Um, it's all part of the plan. And then you're kind of like, well, what kind of sick plan is this? Right. Uh, she must have just been too beautiful for earth as one that I'll get. Um, just like those cliche things that people are like, these are, this is a feel good thought. They're not a feel good thought whenever right. it's your child or really any loss. I think um, right. it just, Especially whenever you're in this place where you're just like looking for the why so hard. Right. And, that, and then it's like these cliche things and you're like, mm, I don't think that's why. But um, the worst Please. is. Go ahead. That's okay. The worst is when people are like, well, maybe there's something wrong with her and then you would have had to spend your whole life caring for her. No, oh, no. <laughs> like, I think that one speaks for itself. But I think people are just looking for anything to maybe make it better and not make it so hard or make you feel like the last. Right. Yeah. I don't know. You know? So along those lines of, I won't go into like, you have to give me 50 things of what to say, but it kind of <laughs> leads to the next thing you spoke about and you said, let them have their space, give them grace for a long while. So mm -hmm. in that aspect, what could people do about giving your space and maybe things that they could say? Yeah. Um, I think the most powerful things that people have ever said to me or the, the most like I take a deep breath when they say it is like, I'm not even going to try to say anything that's going to make this better because this sucks. When people are just like, this sucks. It's like a big breath of fresh air. Like, okay, I don't have to act like I'm like, 
you know, walking on clouds here for you. Um, right. I've had people come over and just like sit down on my couch with a glass of wine and be like, tell me about Frankie. Mm-hmm. They just want to hear like from a mom's perspective, even though she was never alive on this earth. Um, what was your pregnancy like? Like, what was she like when you were pregnant? What did you think she was going to be like as a little girl? What do you see her doing now? Just people mm-hmm. um, asking me about her and keeping her alive in that way is the best thing ever. And I think that goes for when you lose anyone, whether it's a parent or a sibling or a spouse or whatever, just letting that person, ask that person about them. So speaking of that, what kind of dreams did you have for Frankie? When you were had her, she was pregnant in your belly. I'm you know, sure you told me you're big in your faith and you're praying. What were you praying for? What kind of mm-hmm. hopes and dreams did you have for Frankie? I just wanted her to be, I just, and it, you know what? My biggest dream for her has come true. I think that every parent just wants their child to do something that makes an impact for other people, help other people. Mm-hmm. I just wanted her to be a helpful human being. And I remember thinking like, what kind of mom am I going to be? How would I handle this situation? And I just think about her now and I'm like her little life, like people have never even seen her face and she has brought people back to God, um, shown people the messy side of faith and how, you know, you can work through it. And she's shown people strength. I get messages all the time from women who are in labor and they're like, this is so painful, but I'm leaving here with my baby and I can do this. Like just little moments of grace. I think she really has shown a lot of people. So she is doing what you said. She's making a difference in people's lives mm-hmm. and Frankie's more alive than ever. Yes. Her story that you're telling today is making her more alive than ever. And I keep on seeing you smile every time we say her <laughs> name, which is awesome. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is one thing that I had talked to you before we even recorded was, and you talk about, don't forget the daddies. You know, yeah. speak to that. Um, so my husband, especially because the Finley Project stepped in to take care of me and, you know, everyone's reaching out to me. I would go out to my mailbox and come in with like stacks full of gifts for me, um, mm-hmm. like necklaces, bracelets, you know, wind chimes. My husband, he just, the dads just want to fix it and they can't. There was like nothing he could do. Um, but I did ask him, you know, what was the most helpful for you? What still is the most helpful for you? And he was like, my friends will just text me and be like, Hey, this really sucks. I'm here to talk if you want to. Did you watch the pens game last night? Then like totally revert the subject (laughs) to like sports or something. So Dave's like, they open that door for me that if I want to walk through it, I can, or Mm -hmm. I can just talk about the pens. Like I don't have to go there. (laughs) You have two options. You're talking about your feelings or let's talk about sports. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. So he was like, they acknowledge it. um, Just them acknowledging it. And he said, you know, most of them are acknowledging it because I'm sharing. Mm -hmm. So he's like, you're sharing, they're seeing it. So they're reaching out, which, you know, has been really helpful for him. He said, so it's very important because you're the mom, you've carried the baby the whole time, but there's the dad coming, yeah. speaking for me being a dad. Um, you have the anticipation and the excitement of your baby coming and you want to be, you, you have all these dreams about walking them down the aisle and yeah. being their protector and them putting makeup on your face and all these different crazy things that you anticipate and then you don't, you don't get to do that. And then yeah. as a father and a husband, you want to be the protector and you can't protect your baby. Yeah. And so... 
Um, I can't imagine how tough it is for the dads as well and offering them some support and just remembering that they hurt too and have feelings. That's mm-hmm. not always on the surface like it would be maybe for the mom or women. Would you agree with that? Yes. And I think it was about three months after Frankie, I looked at my husband and I said, this was worse for you. And he was like, no, you had to go through it. And I was like, no, I had to deliver my child and say goodbye to her. You had to watch me. You had to watch the person that you love the most go through this and then say goodbye to your child. So I feel like he had grief on top of grief where I just had to say goodbye to Frankie. He had to watch me lose her and then say goodbye to her himself. Yeah, I think that is a really good analogy because I, I could feel that same thing. Mm-hmm. So your wife, who's your, you know, your best friend, the love of your life, suffered this loss, and you're also suffering the loss of um, losing your baby girl, too, and not being mm-hmm. able to bring her home. Mm-hmm. I think that's very important to bring up. And then lastly in your article, we've, we've said this multiple times through the thing, is to say their child's name. Yeah. Do not be afraid to bring up Frankie Joy's name mm-hmm. or fill in the blank with somebody else. Exactly. That's the, be- that's the best thing you can do. That's the best the thing you can do best thing you can do so where are things now with you what what are you doing now well um you know over the past year and four months almost five months we just really focused on the grief and our faith um the long and short of it was because of my loss i ended up going to this bereavement class at a church that I had gotten a flyer for in the mailbox, and wow. I'm now the youth minister at that church. So um, I wouldn't, if I never would have lost Frankie, I never would have stepped foot in that bereavement class, and I mm-hmm. never would have met 36 teenagers that are filling a huge void in my life. Um, I'm still, I got myself, you know, physically back in shape, which I think eating right and working out is a huge part of mental health. So I can, I know when I haven't been taking care of myself, my anxiety is worse. The depression is worse. Mm -hmm. Um, the beginning of December, it was actually around November. My husband and I decided we were ready to try again. And so December 6th, I actually found out that we were expecting our second and then um, this actually one week ago yesterday, I miscarried in our first trimester, our second. So we are kind of walking this road again. The same week that I miscarried, I actually was at home for my grandfather's funeral. And so there was kind of two layers of grief there that we are sorting through. Um, but we know what to do. We know what this road ahead for the most part is going to look like. and. Here we are again. <laughs> well, I sit here and I wanted to say I'm sorry to hear that news. I mean, I, I can't imagine it ever gets easier just because it's earlier on than later on. Yeah. Um, where does that put you in your mindset? Are you more established in your faith and knowing how to walk that walk right now? Or is it still just as devastating as ever? It is different. Um, I remember I wrote an email to our priest the night it happened because I, you know, I'm the youth minister, so I was like, I won't be in the office for a couple of days, and here's why. Mm-hmm. And they had been praying for us, and they knew that this is a high-risk pregnancy, um, which had nothing to do with the loss, but they just knew about our first loss, so everyone was really praying for us. And um, this past Sunday, we were at Mass, and it was my husband's first time coming back to church since the miscarriage because it was last Monday. And our priest put his hands on Dave's shoulders and just looked at him right in the eyes and said, you're mad, aren't you? 
And David's like, no, no, trying to say he wasn't mad. And he was like, here's what I need you to do. I want you to go in that chapel when no one's in the church, and I want you to scream at God. And when you're done screaming at God, I want you to walk across the church and go in the Our Lady of Guadalupe Chapel and tell Mary that you're really upset with her son because those are very strong, powerful prayers, but you mm -hmm. have to tell him. You can't hold this anger in. You're human. You should be mad. You know, God can handle it. So I think that with Frankie, I was so scared to be mad because I felt like it was disrespectful to everything else I have. Like all the other blessings I have, everything else I had to be grateful for. If I was mad about this one thing, I just felt like it was disrespectful. But with this, we've grown so much in our faith to know now that there is nothing that we could do that could separate us from God's love. There's nothing that could happen um, that could separate us from that. And so just allowing ourselves to feel those really intense and immense frustrations is different this time. Wow. You say, like I said, you sit here with such strength and say it, and this is something that's so raw and so real to just happen. Mm -hmm. and you're, you're still sitting here talking about God's love and not being separated from that. Um, I think that's a real testament to you and your husband and your faith, and you should be, should be really proud of that, and that's going to offer hope and encouragement to somebody else. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. For sure, for sure. Do you have hope for the future to have another baby? <laughs> I actually tell people all the time, all we have is hope. Like, and one of our pastors at our church says every day to me, where there is hope, there is life. So um, that is all we have. We hang on to hope like no other. But we do have hope for a future family. Um, mm -hmm. We don't know what that's going to look like, whether there will be, you know, babies that aren't ours, that are out there in the world somewhere, that aren't ours biologically, biologically but are ours. We are mm -hmm. open to that. We are open to our own family. Um, I'm not afraid anymore. I think that's the biggest thing is that, you know, pregnancy doesn't scare me like it once did. Um, losing doesn't scare me like it once did. So we are open and we have, all we have is hope. I think that's awesome because you're talking about hope like it's your oxygen. It's all we have. It is. <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I think that's great. I think that's a good analogy. Like breathe it in, take it in. You know, God's given me this biggest challenge and he gave me a big joy. He gave me Frankie. Frankie yeah. Joy out of all of this. And I, did I struggle? Yes. Was I angry? Yes. Was I mm -hmm. isolated and sad and depressed? Yes. But mm -hmm. there is freedom on the other side from God's grace. Exactly. And being able exactly. to share your story with other people and keeping Frankie more alive than ever by having her being the helper and bringing joy to so many people's lives by sharing this story, I think is really amazing. For sure. So I'm going to put you on the spot for the final okay. thing. <laughs> All right. what, if you could leave us with one bit of hope and encouragement for any moms or dads who have gone through this or are going through this maybe right now, what's something you could offer them? Um, this is, I tell myself this every single day. Um, other people can kind of put band-aids on your wounds. They can kind of make them feel better for a little bit with maybe something they do or say. But at the end of it all, the only person who can fix this is you. The only person that can show up for you is you. And so just be willing to take care of yourself, whatever that looks like for you. If it's giving yourself more grace, if it's working out, if it's journaling, you have to show up for you because nobody else is going to fix this for you. Your loss. I asked a mom this actually at my grandfather's funeral. A woman came up to me who knows my story and had lost three babies of her own. And she's like, I can see it on your face. Something's wrong. 
And I asked her, does it ever get any easier? And she said, no, but it gets different. And I said, okay. So I think just knowing that, don't be hard on yourself, that it's literally going to be terrible for the rest of your life. This one little thing is Mm -hmm. always going to be terrible. And just to be okay okay. with that. Just to be okay with it, yeah. Okay. I think that is awesome. I I don't think you could have ended it any better with that advice. Um, how can people get in contact with you? If people want to connect with you and talk a little bit more about your story or hear ways for support or just to have somebody to say, this sucks, Yeah. how can they get in contact with you? They can go to taylormolitierno.com. That's my blog and my website, and you can leave a message on one of my posts or send me a message right through there. Um, you can find me on Facebook, just Taylor Molitierno. I do have a business page, but I interact way better on my personal page, so if you follow me there and send a message, I will answer. Um, on Instagram, I'm Sweat for Joy. So if you're an Instagrammer, you can go to Sweat for Joy, find me there, and or just my email, uh, just sweatforjoy at gmail.com. Okay. Well, since those were like 50 other links, I will put all of those <laughs> in the show Sorry. notes. So not everyone, and because I could barely say your name correctly at the beginning, yeah. but so let's have them spell it. So I will make sure I put all of those links in the show notes so people can get in contact with you Perfect. and connect with you Perfect. <laughs> further on. Well, we are so happy that you came on here to talk about your beautiful baby girl, Frankie Joy. Thank you. We're going to keep saying that name over and over again so people get to hear it and feel that love from that name. I'm so thankful that you came on the show today. It was absolutely my honor to have you on. And like I say, your story is going to touch a lot of lives and offer hope, which is your oxygen right now. Thanks so much, Taylor. Thank you for having me. Well, we couldn't have been any more blessed to have Taylor on the show with us today. Could you hear the smile on her voice when she was talking about her beautiful baby girl, Frankie Joy? I could, but I could also see the smile on her face too. So I was a lucky one in this scenario. What a shining light. What a shining example. Because Taylor and her husband became part of a club that nobody wants to be part of. Nobody signs up to be part of the club who loses their baby. We talk about powerful stories on this podcast. And I know some of these are not easy to hear, not easy to digest, and you may want to stop. You may want to pause it. You may want to walk away from the podcast. But these people who are part of these clubs they don't sign up for, they don't get to walk away. And not only could they not walk away, they could sit and crumple. They could cry. They could give up and have zero hope. But as you heard from Taylor, she has not done that. Hope is her oxygen, as we talked about on the podcast. And she is happy to talk about her baby, Frankie Joy, about the joy that was brought to their life, how amazing it was to hold her, and how normal it felt, just like any other mom and dad, to be proud of that moment and to want to spread that a message of hope and joy further and further and further and to keep Frankie's name alive more than ever. And she's doing that. And when I was interviewing her, I remember there were times of the story where I was thinking, wow, how is she not completely breaking down and crying right now? And it goes back to what we've talked about each and every single time on this podcast. She was enveloped and completely held by God's grace. It has wrapped around her family, and she has used her faith so strongly, not just with her and her family, but her community. And she talked about working with those girls now and has filled such a void in her life. And um, I couldn't be more proud to know her and call her a friend now and and to see the things that she is doing. In preparing for the podcast, 
I was looking up some statistics about miscarriages, and this one really stuck out to me and made me think about a couple things. And here's what I read. It said there are about 4.4 million confirmed pregnancies in the U.S. every year. 900,000 to 1 million of those end in pregnancy losses every year. If you think about that statistic, 900,000 to 1 million. 900,000 to 1 million people are now part of a club they never wanted to be part of. 900,000 to 1 million people have suffered a tremendous pain in their life. 900,000 to 1 million people have an invisible scar on their heart that nobody will ever see. And it makes you realize that all around us, think about it, 900,000 to 1 million. And let's say that's double that because you think of a husband and wife together. You know, I know in some cases it's not, but for the sake of this conversation, double that. So 2 million people are walking around with those invisible scars every year. And it makes you think about what are people walking around you in everyday life who are going through things that are so invisible, so painful, but yet nobody sees it. And some of them have never come back from those scars. Some of them have used as a platform to help other people and offer hope, like you heard in Taylor's story today. And neither of those people are wrong. Like you heard it in Taylor today. She said, if you want to grieve and blame yourself, then do that. That is your right. If you want to use it for something else bigger, that is your right. But neither of you are wrong. And I just wanted to tell people who have not been part of that club, who have had healthy babies and never really had to suffer that, to be grateful, to be thankful, and to make those every minutes in your day count. Because minutes matter, right? Um, you think about it when you have kids. Now, I have a son who's 17 years old and a daughter who's 14. And all the times where they said, hey, Dad, let's do this. And I said, okay, give me five minutes. And that five minutes goes to 10 minutes. 10 minutes goes to minutes. And then 15 minutes goes to a half hour, then an hour. And sometimes I never showed up. I never played that game. I never went and saw them read a book. And it really makes me have a gut check and say, okay, minutes matter. Show up for the people in those minutes. Don't put off because there are other people who would do anything to have those minutes back. Anything. So you make sure those minutes matter in your day. Make sure those minutes count to the people in your life and to those loved ones around you. Taylor's story was so strong and so powerful. And her story is not over. It's completely evolving. And she said, they have hope for a family still. They have hope. That was the key word. They have hope. Over and over again in the story, they have hope. They may, be, they may not have a biological child, but there's another baby out there for them that would still be their baby. And we, we pray that that blessing comes soon for them and for others who are out there who are suffering and uh, are part of this unfortunate club that they never wanted to be part of. I'm thankful for her strength, and I'm thankful for her being on the podcast today and sharing this. Guys, this podcast is so important to so many people out there that I've heard from. It's really touching them in their life and helping them deal with things that they've been through in their family. And uh, I couldn't appreciate you guys more for listening. And like I've said in every podcast, the greatest compliment to myself, to Taylor, to everyone else I've had on the podcast is to share the podcast. Please share the podcast with other people and to just offer that message of hope to people. I want to talk to you guys. 
You can reach me at Tim at unwrittenlife.com. You can leave your stories. You can leave comments. I would like to read some of your stories, comments on the podcast. It'd be my pleasure. Um, you can touch base with me on Instagram at the Unwritten Life Podcast. Our conversation is going on all the time in our Unwritten Life Podcast group on Facebook. Join that and be part of the conversation. And then also on Instagram, Unwritten Life, like I mentioned before on Instagram, that's where I'm sharing pictures of people who have been on the show. Um, parts of the show notes are going to show up there. And then there is the website, unwrittenlifepodcast.com, where you can find out more information about the people that have been on the podcast, contact them with all their contact information, and really have an opportunity for them to pour into you and for you to get some advice and some support from them because they've been through it, they are going through it, and they are on the other side of it right now, and they have hope and hope and hope and hope. So guys, we've come to the end of another episode, but this is not the end of your story at all. Remember, you matter, you can make a difference, and your story is still unwritten.